he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, or I am. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. And they were completely amazed, because they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hard. May God bless the reading of his word. So, what do you expect Jesus to do for you? That's a question that we don't always ask in that way, but it's an important question. We need to back off every once in a while and ask, what am I expecting out of Jesus? And when we ask ourselves that question, oftentimes we then come to the question, has he fulfilled my expectations? Has Jesus really done the things for me that I want him to do? And if we're honest, oftentimes the answer to that question is no. He really hasn't done what I really wanted him to do. Now, if you share that feeling sometimes, if at times you can say, yes, you know, I, I really expected him to do this. I expected him to take care of this. I wanted him to do that. And he didn't do it. Then you're in good company. You're in the company of Peter and Andrew and James and John and all these first disciples. Because so many times they had it all planned out for Jesus. They knew what he ought to be doing. And he didn't do it. And as we will see when we get to the end of this passage, they missed some mighty things that he did. It's a familiar story, this story of Jesus walking on the water. Even people who don't know much about the Bible know something about Jesus walking on the water. But sometimes we fail to really realize what's going on here. But that's okay. If we don't get what's going on here, we're in good company with Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other. In fact, did you notice the last line of this story? After Jesus walked across the water and he climbed into the boat with them, here's what it says. They were utterly astounded because they did not understand about the loaves, the bread, They didn't know what had happened with the bread. And their hearts were hard. Another way to translate that part is, they were frustrated. They didn't know what was going on here. Well, what is this strange thing about bread that they're worried about? Why are they worried about bread at a time when they're trying to get across the lake and the wind's blowing against them and then here comes Jesus walking on the water? What's bread got to do with that? Well, to answer that, we have to back up to the story before this, or really to the beginning of the story. Jesus had sent his disciples out two by two 
to go out and to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. And they had gone out and done some amazing things, had some wonderful experiences. You can imagine, you guys who just came back from Brazil, every one of you I've run into is just glowing about things that happened in Brazil. Well, you can imagine being sent by Jesus, two by two, out into the whole country to preach the gospel and to have the power to lay their hands on those who were sick and to heal them. So when they got back, And they all got back together, and they started reporting to Jesus all the things that had happened. Amazing stories were being told. But there was a problem. The problem was that thousands of people had followed them back to Jesus. And as we will find out as we go on in the story, and also if we read the accounts by the other gospel writers... The disciples had really been out recruiting these people to come to Jesus. So here they are trying to talk to Jesus, and there's all these people around. And in fact, what they were doing was, well, if you've got your Bibles open, it says that the people were coming and going. Now, right here, I said at the beginning, we were going to try to peel some layers back of this story. We don't have time today to do all of them, but a few of them. They were coming and going. If you've read your Old Testament a lot, that little phrase appears in the Old Testament several times. And what that phrase means is military maneuvers. Anytime people are coming and going, especially 5,000 men as we find out later, they were training. They were getting their army together. Why? Well, because that's what they were expecting Jesus to be was their general. They were going to kick the Romans out of the country. They were going to establish the throne of David again, and here we go. So the disciples, in their preaching and teaching, had also evidently been recruiting an army. Well, Jesus says, we got to get away from these people. We need to get off by ourselves, and we've got to have a talk. So they get in a boat, and they go across this lake. We call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's just a lake. You can see from one side to the other. So they go across the lake. Well, all this mass of people see where they're going, and they have time to run around the lake, and they get there ahead of them. So when Jesus and his disciples get there, Jesus steps off the boat. And it's interesting because he says he is moved with compassion for these people, which is a real clue to the whole ministry of Jesus. His was a ministry of compassion. But he pulls out some more military language here because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Old Testament language again. They don't have a general. They're an army, and they're leaderless. So what's Jesus going to do with an army that he didn't really want, he didn't really need, yet there they were? Well, he has everybody sit, sit down and says, okay, I've got to teach you guys some t- something. Now, we don't know what he talked to them about, but we know that Jesus spent a lot of his time trying to explain to people why he was really there and who he really was. And so he talks to them, and he talks to them, and he talks to them. And just like some of us may be looking and saying, you know, it's almost lunchtime. 
They were probably looking at their, uh, they didn't have watches, they were probably looking at their iPhones and saying, you know, it's getting late. We don't have any food around here. So the disciples go to Jesus and they have a plan. The disciples always have a plan for Jesus. They've always got things they are going to tell him what he needs to do and how he needs to do it. So they go to Jesus and say, well, you've talked so long, Jesus, that you, it, it's late. These people are hungry. They didn't bring any food. You need to send them off into the villages. And they're going to go about and, and you know, uh, like an army sometimes does in occupied country, go and find food. <laughs> you know? And that's what they got to do. Jesus says, that's not the plan. You got it all wrong. You give them something to eat. They said, well, wait, wait a minute. It would cost like $20,000 to feed these folks. We don't have that kind of change on us. He says, well, go find out how much food you have. And you know the story. They scrounge around, find one little boy that's got five little loaves of bread, more like five pieces of bread for us, five slices of bread, and a couple of fish. But what are those among so many? But Jesus takes that small amount of food and begins to break it. And they begin passing it around. Oh, I missed one thing. He had them sit down. He had them sit down in companies. Companies of 50 and 100. More military language. And he feeds them. Well, after it's over, he tells the disciples to go and police the grounds. And they do, and they pick up 12 baskets full of food that's left over after everybody else has already eaten as much as they could eat. Now what's going to happen? You can imagine the disciples thinking, wow, now we're getting rolling. Jesus has got this army organized. He's got them in 50s and 100s, and he's feeding them, and all this is going on. Well, the next thing Jesus does is he takes the disciples, and he forces them to get into the boat. Now, that's a very strong word. He doesn't just say, you guys get in the boat. He says, get in the boat. And they're like, oh, no, wait a minute. We, we don't want to get in the boat. We want to go. We want to. He's pushing them into the boat. You guys are a lot of the problem around here. Get in the boat. So they get in the boat. Jesus tells everybody to leave. I don't know what he says to them there. He just says he dismisses the crowd. He goes up on the mountainside. And you can imagine he goes up and goes, what have I gotten myself into? He has to spend some time with the Father. The disciples, in the meantime, are rowing across the lake. Now, they have rowed across that lake many times. Many of them were fishermen. They fished that lake all the time. But this particular night, they couldn't really make any progress because the wind was blowing so hard against them. At 3 o'clock in the morning... They were only halfway across the lake. And Jesus can see them out there. Now that doesn't take any superhuman ability. Once again, it's a small lake. He's up on the hillside. He can look out and he sees them straining against the oars. I would love to know what those guys were saying to one another. You know, I'm sure they were exhausted. I'm sure they were angry. Well, it's, we're told that they're angry. Their hearts are hard. They don't know what's going on. They thought they had done a great job. They had gotten things all set up for Jesus. They got him an army together, and look what's happening. Now he's making them row across this lake in the middle of the night. What is going on? Jesus comes up with a plan. Jesus decides 
that he will walk across the lake and pass by them. Now, we sometimes miss what he's doing there. Old Testament language again. If we go back to Exodus chapter 33, we read a story about a time when God passed by Moses. Happened on Mount Sinai. And Moses is saying, I want to see you. He said, go to the cleft of the rock. I'll cover you there. And I will pass by. Jesus has decided this is the time to show them his glory. He is going to show them who he really is. He is going to reveal to them that he is the Son of God. He is going to reveal to them that he is God incarnate. And he does it all just right. He is the Lord of the sea. He walks across the water. He is going to pass by them. It's an epiphany, a theophany, a showing that he is God. But the disciples miss it again. They see something walking on the water, and instead of realizing that Jesus is showing them his glory, they think it is some sea imp or some sea ghost out there. there, there was a, there's a, uh, an old uh, tradition they had that on the lake, if you saw a ghost walking on the lake, you were about to die. And they start screaming. But no, I'd love to know again what they were screaming. <laughs> and Jesus says the words of Epiphany. Don't be afraid. I am the same words that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. I am. It is I. I'm here. Jesus climbs into the boat with them. Says their hearts are hard and they're angry. And they missed it. They missed it because it wasn't what they were expecting. It wasn't what they wanted. And they missed the glory of God. I think as the disciples reflected back on this story in years to come and told the story, we think probably Peter told this story to Mark when he wrote it down. I bet they told this story with a tear in their eyes. Look what great opportunity we had. And yet, we had our own way. We were doing our own thing. And we missed the power of Jesus. Quick application. I think many of you are already there. If we set the agenda for Jesus, we're often going to be disappointed and frustrated. And sometimes we're going to miss what he's really doing in our lives. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. This is why Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane struggled and said, This isn't what I want, God, but not what I want what you want. When we sign on to be followers of Jesus, when we sign on to be disciples of Jesus, that's exactly what we are. 
we sign on to follow him. Not to set expectations, not to decide what he needs to do for us, but to learn from him, to stay in touch with him, so that his touch and his voice can lead us where we need to go and what we need to do. And to trust him, that he is with us, that he's not just going to leave us out in the middle of the lake straining against oars against the wind that he will be there he will be there for us maybe not just like we thought it was going to be but like he chose for it to be when we come to Jesus we say you are Lord I will follow you not hi Lord here's my list of what I need to have done I have talked to people who have lost their faith because Jesus didn't do what they thought he should. We have to learn that we signed on to follow him and trust that where he is, it will be good. We need to learn to pray pray the prayer of David that we began with. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me and teach me because you are the God of my salvation and for you I wait all day long. And the passage we'll look at next week comes to mind as well from Ephesians. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ever dream up. All our lists that we have that we need him to take care of, he's more than that. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you want to follow, then he makes himself available. If you want to come to know him, he says, I'll be there for you. But much like he told the Apostle Peter one day, you need to get behind me and let's go. That's his invitation. Come, follow me. Let's stand and sing.